If you would please turn to Matthew 13 once again as we did last Lord's Day. I've decided to read the entire context here of Matthew 13, verses 1 through 23, since there will be references to various texts in that context. The same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, And the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, And with the ears they have barely hear, and their eyes have been closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it. And to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown among, along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. 
And for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of the riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, another sixty, and a hundred, and another thirty. Lord's blessing upon his word. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we ask that our hearts would clearly see, hear, and understand what the Lord Jesus Christ is encouraging and building up the body of Christ. But also we must not miss that that word also comes in judgment upon unbelief. We ask, O Lord, that our hearts would be given unto thee by thy spirit. Direct us through this passage. Embrace, enable us to embrace the love of Jesus. In Christ's name, amen. Matthew 13 along with Mark 4 and Luke 8, record what is commonly called the kingdom parables. They are called the kingdom parables because they instruct us about the kingdom of heaven. Matthew's phrase for the kingdom parables, the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, which is the phrase that Mark and Luke use. Often these parables begin with the phrase, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is like, then follows a parable. So as we dive into the parables themselves, what is the basic pattern of understanding the kingdom parables? We highlighted that pattern by observing the creative, revelatory activity of God in Genesis 1-1 last week. We noted the sequence founded in Genesis 1-1 is an interpretive principle of God's revelation in Holy Scripture. God, heaven, the invisible, earth, the visible. In the context of God's invisible revelation, we are confronted with the meaning of the term or phrase, the mystery or secrets of the kingdom of heaven. 1311 of your text. The ESV uses the term secrets for the Greek word there, It also can be translated mystery. This term, mystery or secrets, is at the heart 
is at the heart of Matthew's 13, 10 through 16 passage as the key for understanding why Jesus spoke in parables. Christ states in those verses that the meaning of the parables can only be understood by those whom the mystery or secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been revealed. It comes as gift from God. We must note that the kingdom of heaven is an invisible mystery. Its invisible revelation is given only, only by the Christ of God to the disciples who exist presently in our text on earth. Are you seeing the pattern of understanding in the parables? Is it making a mark upon your own soul? The interpretation must go from God, heaven, to earth. God, heaven, to earth. Christ does not provide this interpretation to the crowd, nor in other parables to the Jewish elite. Only the disciples receive this pattern as a gracious gift in understanding the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. To repeat, the Christ of God himself interprets, you see, God in Christ interprets the parables for them. So, what is, (laughs) what is the invisible mystery of the kingdom of heaven that needs to be made visible by sovereign grace? Above all, it is the knowledge and the belief that the kingdom of heaven has condescended and it has arrived in history in the person and redeeming work of Jesus as the Christ. If you do not know this truth, if you do not know this truth in your own life, then you are trapped in an all-encompassing and all-consuming, visible, sinful, and fallen world that surrounds you in absolute misery. You are trapped within the confines of the earth, this world, and you cannot get out of its despair, its depths of despair. On the other hand, on the other hand, if you believe and you trust in Jesus as the Messiah, then you have entered, you have entered into the mystery of the kingdom as it takes root and blooms within your own soul. You know the rich benefits of redemption 
which Christ has brought to you. You rejoice that Jesus has come in the fullness of time, that the messianic age has dawned, that the treasure of heaven's kingdom is here presently in Jesus. You belong to a kingdom that does not place its inheritance, its inheritance in the world For it is a world that is temporal and passing away. You belong to a kingdom that is indestructible. No disease. No terrorist. No tyrannical government can penetrate the mystery of Christ's kingdom in your heart and remove its Riches. Every one of you, every one of you here this morning who believe and trust in Christ, see yourself this morning right there in verse 16. Look at that. See yourself if you believe in Christ in verse 16. Blessed, blessed are your eyes. Blessed are your eyes, for they see. Blessed are your ears, because they hear. You, yes, you are blessed, because Christ's invisible mystery of sovereign redemption, your eyes see, your ears hear, your heart penetrates into the secret treasures of such a bountiful salvation in Christ and his kingdom. Only you, only you have the visible eyes and ears to see and hear into the invisible true identity of Christ and his kingdom, which is ironically by grace opened to you. You have entered congregation. You who believe, you have entered into the invisible heaven, into the invisible pleasures of presence, excuse me, of Christ's glorious throne. You now have eyes and ears to see and hear into The invisible. Are you grasping? Are you grasping this morning what you have received by grace? Are you seeing and hearing and knowing? The disciples and each of you in faith union with Christ must comprehend that many of the prophets and righteous people in the Old Testament did not get to see and hear in redemptive, redemptive historically what you now see, what you now hear, what you now understand in your heart. Verse 17 of our text. Will not each of you 
Rejoice this morning that you now live in this day, the day of the full revelation of your Lord. So as we have been mentioning, a saving relationship with Christ as gift is a necessary precondition to be able to understand Christ's parables. Without this gift of gracious understanding, a parable is a literary device by an interesting teacher who likes to tell nice stories about everyday life. The specific redemptive content of the parable will never penetrate their ears their eyes and their hearts because their hearts are set upon the visible, their own visible and earthly existence. Indeed, the revealing and veiling character of the parables is clearly on display from the words of our Lord in chapter 13 there, 10 through 17. But also note Christ's comment in 1335, if you want to look ahead in your text, as he applies Psalm 78.2, which I read for our call to worship this morning, to his own teaching and parables. I... Christ will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Simply, the parables reveal the mystery of the kingdom, that is, the salvation and redemption that is centered in Christ, veiled from the foundation of the world. The world cannot hold this mystery. The world is too temporal. It is too temporary to embrace the invasion of the heavenly, eternal, invisible message and person of Christ and the kingdom. The parables come into history in order to lift you To lift you and move you, the church, right out of the earth, the visible, into into heavenly glory, the invisible of the presence of Christ, who is very God of very God. You're seeing the pattern again, aren't you? You're seeing the pattern of Genesis 1.1 in the parable. The revelation of God. Heaven, earth comes to you as gift. And your life in Christ's accomplished redemption moves you from the earth to heaven to the presence of God in our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm hoping that you're grasping this wonderful 
wonderful pattern for your life. Now let us turn to the parable of the sower per se, verses 1 through 9 and 18 through 23. There are some interesting aspects in verses 1 and 2 about Christ and the crowd. I'm not able to draw your attention to all that is going on here. But I do want you to note the posture in the text. The posture of your Savior Christ in this text. We are first told that he sat beside the sea in verse 1. And then we are told that he got into the boat and sat down. Verse 2. The posture of sitting while teaching and preaching in Matthew's gospel should not go unnoticed. It's important in Matthew's gospel. For example, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, concerning the Sermon on the Mount. The imagery here is a preview of his posture in glory, sitting at the right hand of his Father in heaven with the disbursement of his word. Connect the dots. The picture is that the teaching of the Christ of God is coming out of heaven to the crowd. Notice the pattern from Genesis 1-1 again. In Matthew 5 and the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5-1, it's very interesting if you look at that, that Christ in that context, Christ departs. He departs from the crowd and takes the disciples alone up into the mountain and delivers the Sermon on the Mount. The mountain in Matthew's gospel is also an interesting, interesting theme. The mountain represents the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew's gospel, we don't have time to develop that, but I want you to make that point before you. So as Christ departs from the crowd in the Sermon on the Mount and takes the disciples alone up into the mountain and presents his blessing in the Sermon on the Mount, his blessing exclusively to the church in anticipation of the glorified ministry of Christ to his church, Whereas here in Matthew 13, 2, the crowds stay before the seated Christ. The picture here, it's not a mountain. The picture here is that Christ's teaching from the right hand of the Father in parables is coming in judgment. Upon the crowd who who resides glued to the visible earth as doubters, doubters about the presence of the kingdom in Christ. 
in their limited sight in hearing to the crowd, much of the labor of Christ's earthly ministry is mixed. They have seen his ministry mixed both with failure and success. But the parables and the mysteries revealed in those parables will disclose the true meaning and purpose of Christ's kingdom. But without the revelation of the Holy Spirit, no one in the crowd will understand. In fact, according to Christ, that revelation is reserved for the disciples. 13.16 of your text. Simply put, the parables expose the blindness of unbelief in the crowd, whereas the disciples receive sight. How? Remember, please underline, how do they receive sight? By the interpretation, the interpretation of Christ concerning his own parables. Now moving along, as we look specifically at the parable of the sower, we want to note the priority over the other parables that appear even here in Matthew 13. Not only as the first of the series of parables, but also on account of its content. In many respects, it is the starting point and the basis for understanding the parables that follow it. The parables that follow are in many respects elaborations, elaborations of this first parable. The point of the parable of the sower is the relationship between the events depicted in the parable and the revelation of the kingdom of heaven centered in Christ's word to the church. This revelation is crucial for the disciples to comprehend since through Christ's spirit upon the apostolic church and the church until Christ's second coming, this parable reveals the path of the effects of the word of God. This fact is confirmed as Christ explains the meaning of the parable. The seed is the what? Does he say? It is the word of the kingdom. 1318 of your text. Mark 4 4 says the sower sows the word. Luke 8 11, the seed is the word of God. The sower, the seed. The word of God, the kingdom are all interrelated. It is this word which contains and reveals the mystery of the kingdom. Hence the word of God is, is the word of the kingdom. So when you hear the word of God preached, you are hearing 
the word of the kingdom. There is no difference. And the content, the substance of the word is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now as you look more specifically at the content of the parable, you notice that Christ emphasizes two things. The fruitlessness of the preached word and secondly, the fruits of the preached word. First, the fruitlessness is demonstrated by the loss of the seed first, sown along the path. Second, on the rocks, and third, among the thorns. All of these contain obstructions that can be traced back to Satan himself. The first group of people along the path are those who at first hear the word, but they never understand it. It was even sown somewhat in their heart, but Satan removes their low level of understanding in their heart. Verse 4 and verse 19. The second group, the people fell on rocky ground, are those who hear the word and they receive it with joy in their heart and even for a while endure in the faith. But when tribulation or persecution arises, it exposes their superficial commitment and they stumble and they leave the faith. Verses 5 and 6, 20 and 21. The third group of people fell among the thorns who hear the word, but it is interpreted or it is interrupted, excuse me, by interest in the visible. The visible, here we are. Their interest in this world totally overcomes them. The cares and the anxieties of the world or the deceit that surrounds material wealth and riches choke choke the word out of any fruitful production of one's life. Verse 7, verse 22. All three of these groups expose a faithless response to the word of God, to the gospel of the kingdom that is centered in our Lord Jesus Christ. All three groups cannot overcome their passion for the world, being satisfied with the visible manifestations of this world, no matter how miserable and how self-satisfying they think the world makes them. As you contemplate the sower's work here in the text, The work of Christ's spirit connected with the preaching of the word of God. Let me underline that we are not to think that the sower is careless in the seed that he sows. But what Christ is mapping out in this parable for us to understand is the reality 
quite simply put, is the reality of the preaching of the gospel in a fallen world. This factual truth about preaching is clearly in place. As Paul is about to leave Timothy and presents him with his last will and testament, our series on 2 Timothy 3.16 drove that point home. The church is going to face various results in the preaching of the word in season and out of season. Nevertheless, what does Paul tell Timothy? Nevertheless, the church to the church, it must stand upon the continuing imperative. Preach the word. Preach the word. In the parable, Christ is telling us that this is the way things will be. When the word of God, the seed is sown, the church cannot avoid it. After all, this is what fallen humanity is like to whom the word comes. In fact, as the parables are here addressed to the crowd, Christ is bringing the crowd, it's bringing the crowd into the participation of his teaching and preaching of the word. There is judgment in the word towards the crowd. You see, he's addressing the crowd here in judgment. There's progress in Matthew's narrative. In Matthew 5, he departs from the crowd. He does not give them the blessings of the kingdom. He gives it only to the disciples. But then when we come to the 13th chapter, in terms of his teaching and his preaching, he now addresses the crowd. They're there. But the emphasis is on the crowd being focused. Focused. Upon the visible, this world, not heaven and Christ of God. Whereas in the case of the preached word and the participation of the disciples presently here, Not only in Matthew 5 do they receive the invisible word of God, the blessing from heaven itself in the Sermon on the Mount, but now Christ himself takes them from the point here in Matthew 13 with respect to his teaching and preaching of the word. He takes them from the visible into the invisible. He interprets as God. The invisible world of the kingdom as they live as pilgrims on this earth.
Yes. This kind of scenario will appear in the preaching of Christ's word even in the church. Christ's own preaching and ministry is not itself removed from each group in the parable. This may surprise some of you, but Christ's preaching did not convert every hearer. One last point. Be careful. The parable does not say that three-fourths of the seed remains without fruit while only one-fourth produces fruit. That's not the point. You are not to look at the four groups as the only results of the preaching of God's word. Alongside the fruitlessness of the preached word, we notice the fruits, the fruits of the sower's work. Whoa, how bountiful the preaching of the gospel truly is. It brings forth 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Yes, the good soil is the foundation upon which the redeemed, the elect, through the gospel are translated from the soil, the visible soil, into the fruits, the sanctifying grace of the kingdom of heaven, the revealed revelation of heavenly glory. And then finally, we partake, each one of you partake, in the joint inheritance of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God himself. The church, we here at Emmanuel OPC, must never view the preaching of the word as pessimistic. as pessimistic. It's not three-fourths against one-fourth. Rather, in the parable, Christ is pointing to the ministry of his word made effectual in his death and resurrection to bring forth fruit Many children in his precious flock will exhibit the sanctifying grace of the fruits of the Spirit in their lives. Let us, as a congregation, let each of you go forth this today and through the weeks to come, demonstrating, demonstrating the abundance of fruit that the Lord Jesus Christ has placed in your life. A wonderful, wonderful produce you are. Many of us ask the Lord in prayer 
requests how we can be a better witness of the Lord Jesus Christ to others. Well, here you are. Here you are. Here's the text to encourage you. Go forth upon the word of God and serve the the Lord daily and see the fruits abound. Keep your eyes. Keep your ears completely open and focused upon heaven. Heaven and the glory of Christ serving him serving him in his word for the word of the Lord Jesus Christ endures forever you know that Christ has told you that that is what is in each of you by faith union in Jesus. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we so thank you that you have opened up the secrets the mystery of the kingdom of heaven unto us. Those invisible treasures to the world have become the abode of our own hearts and souls. How we love thee for giving us the gift in the privilege of thy word. We ask, O Lord, that you would induce in us hearts that meditate upon thy word day and night. We ask this as the everlasting treasure of thy kingdom forever and ever. In Christ's name, amen.